London. I'm starting to get acquainted with many of your streets. I can come into town now without getting lost and having to get my phone out to, uh, to figure out where I am. And I'm thoroughly uh, just enjoying your community and its beauty and uh, starting to meet some folks. And it's just uh, really, uh, really good to be here. I want to ask a couple of things. <clears throat> First of all, I want to ask for your prayers uh, for myself. You know, I'm only going to be here for a few months this summer. And uh, boy, if I'm going to accomplish, if I'm going to be any good to you guys, I really need your prayers. And so I would ask that um, you would just remember me and uh, the ministry I have here among you, uh, that God's spirit will be with us during this time, uh, that I could be helpful and encouraging to your congregation. And I think you'll want to continue to remember the leaders of your church, the staff, the council, search committee. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that's happening this summer, uh, even though it's summertime. There's a lot of really important stuff that's happening in the life of, uh, of Sunlight Church. And so we need to continue to be uh, a people of prayer, remembering things that, uh, that are going on um, in our community. And then also this evening, um, I'd like to invite you back personally. I'd, be, I'd like to uh, be able to have a chance to talk with some of you informally. I want to uh, spend a little bit of time telling you a little bit more about myself, some of my story uh, in recovery. Uh, I would enjoy doing that, and uh, I'd really be honored if you could um, come back and uh, have a time just to meet and, and to greet. We're going to do that inside, so don't have to worry about wearing parkas to the, to back to church this evening. And so I think we're going to get started at about 6 o'clock, so it would be great to see you um, this evening as well. And then after the service, there are some flowers over there on a table, and we want to be good neighbors. Uh, so we're going to ask folks to grab a flower, and uh, we're going to, I guess, spread out in the neighborhood across the street. We want to be good neighbors. And uh, we're going to take flowers to folks uh, in the neighborhood and bless them uh, in that way. So today, I want to talk about uh, a couple of passages that relate to Pentecost Sunday. We have some major days in Scripture that the church remembers. And if we remember those days, they really help us organize our faith. Especially, I think, if we're new to the faith, it can help us think about our faith and just remember the story of salvation. First of all, we celebrate, let's just start out with Christmas, right? The, the birth of Christ and how essential that is. We celebrate that at Christmas. And then we remember the, holiday, the Easter season where on Good Friday we have the death of Christ. On Easter we have his resurrection. And then just last week, during the week, there was Ascension Day where he has ascended and taken his seat at the right hand of God the Father. And when we say Jesus is Lord, he is Lord over all the universe. And then today is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days since his resurrection, where the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was given to the apostles and to the church for God's missionary movement uh, to the world. And so I have an Old Testament passage I want to reflect on for a couple of minutes, and then a New Testament passage, actually the Pentecost story uh, itself. And uh, so let's get going on that. So... First of all, from Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. People moved eastward. They found the plain of Shinar, 
and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from here all over the earth. They stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So we're gonna, we'll stop right there. Remember my daughter Rebecca's wedding. It was about five years ago. And uh, I remember talking to the limo driver on that day, and it was his third wedding in 24 hours. So this guy, this poor guy was exhausted. I kind of felt sorry for him. And so I, I said, is there anything I could do for you or get for you? He said, man, I would love a cup of coffee. And uh, we, she got married at where I went to seminary in the chapel at Western Seminary. And there, was, there wasn't any coffee making uh, things available. So I went to one of the groomsmen. Now I realized this was risky because he had a headache from activities he had engaged in the night before. I don't think it was eating too much popcorn. So I kind of, hey, are you awake? I did that softly and nicely. He said, I said, I have one job for you today. Can you handle it? You have one, I have one job for you today. He said, I think so, sir. I said, here's a $5 bill, and I need you to go into this Holland. And Well, actually, we were in Holland. I need you to find a coffee shop. There's several of them, and I need you to get a fresh cup of coffee and get it for the limo driver. That's all you need to do. That's your only job you have to do all day. Can you do that for me? He said, yes, I can. Now tell me, what are you going to do for me? He says, I'm going to go, I'm going to get a cup of coffee, and I'm going to deliver it to the limo driver. So we went to doing different things, and we're <clears throat> now we're lined up, ready to go in for the wedding. And I turned, and I... I said, hey, did you get the limo driver a cup of coffee? Oh, no, I forgot, he said. You had one job to do. You had one job, and, uh, and you couldn't do it. Now, this may be a bit of an oversimplification in our passage, but to this point in the book of Genesis, in the first 11 chapters, humanity has basically had one job that God has given to them. In chapter 1, verse 28, God said to Adam and Eve, he said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds in the of the heavens, and uh, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then, right after the flood, in chapter 9, verse 1, God said this to Noah. He said, he said and God, the text says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then a few verses later, God is talking to Noah's sons. In verse 7, and you be fruitful, multiply, team on the earth, and multiply 
on it. So they are given one job. They are called, humanity is called, to go and to bless the earth. But by the time we get to our passage in Genesis 11, they're, they're not willing to go and bless. Their desire is to sit in safety and gloat, perhaps even sit and practice injustice. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And we see instead of obeying God's command, they've developed a plan B that they think will work better for them. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11 says, The whole world had one language and a common form of speech. As the people journeyed eastward, they found a long level plain uh, to the land of Shinar, and uh, roughly, it's the land of Babylon that they're talking about here, kind of where Iran is today. And they really liked it there. They said, this is good stuff. We like it here a lot. The text says they settled there. Now, the word settle means they put their butt down with no intention of getting up. Have you ever been to a place, an event, where seats were precious and you sat down, right? And you were not going to give that seat up. I think that's the meaning here. Uh, humanity settled there. Sit down. No intention of, uh, of getting up. And they said, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach to heaven. And then let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered over the face of the earth. Just the opposite of what God said. So the people of the earth, to this point, they have one language, so there are zero communication problems. All of them share the same purpose. The immediate goal was to build a tower, build a great city, and make a name for themselves. So I think the really big deal here is let us make a name for ourselves. It means some of the same things we might say using the word reputation, but it carries even more power. It speaks of the very essence of a person, right? Speaks of their personhood, what they're worth. They're saying, we've had enough of God's authority, his name. Let's make our own name and our own authority. Alan Ross, in his work on Genesis, has, has suggested this. The sin of humanity appears to be immense pride. Pride in the Old Testament is much more uh, arrogant in attitude. Pride is seen as open rebellion against God, as declared independence of, from God and his will. You know, perhaps they thought of this tower because they even felt they could overthrow God. Perhaps they thought collectively uh, in their greatness they would be so great they didn't need God and they could get to heaven and challenge God for his mastery of the earth. So they sought a great city because it meant security that they believed God could never give them. The city meant protection from having to be scattered as God had commanded them. Then perhaps to build a tower to take God even out of heaven. The long and short of it is they are no longer going to let God define their relationship 
to their reality. They will decide for themselves what truth is. They will determine what is good for their culture and their society. This is a society that has such hubris that they are quite convinced that they can replace the divine to the dump with God. We don't need him. So by the time we get to verse 5, they finally have God's attention. Now, the writer here has a great sense of humor. Okay? But the Lord came down. The Lord came down. Humanity, think of it, humanity in its greatest accomplishment, in its greatest arrogance, the Lord needs to condescend to see it. The Lord came down. He had to bend down to see it. God must condescend. God must lower himself to see their challenge and their greatness. Psalm 2 speaks of the kings of the earth in rebellion against God. And the psalmist says, he who sits in the heavens laughs and he holds them in derision. The story continues. And the Lord said, if they've begun to do this as one people, speaking the same language, then nothing they devise will be beyond them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. Verse 8 says, so the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. They stopped building the city. Uh, that's why it's called Babel, for the Lord confused their language, the language of the whole world. And from that place, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You see, God is saying something profound here, uh, that they speak the same language, then nothing they devise will be beyond them, so he confused their language. Now, there is some debate here, uh, exactly what does God mean, that there's nothing that will be beyond them. Now, I don't, I, I don't think what it, for sure what God doesn't mean here is that he's afraid that humanity is actually going to be a challenge to him. Okay, that somehow he thinks, I better snuff this out before these people actually do get strong enough to overwhelm me or, or over, overthrow me. Here's where I land. Okay, and, and uh, this is uh, contested, but I, I, I tend to fall in this direction. Some scholars think that with the, it talks earlier in the passage about uh, baking and, and making bricks uh, with mortar. That in the unified one language uh, and leaving God out of the picture, that already at this point in Genesis, slave labor has been introduced into the picture. And this is a society that's already practicing injustice and slave labor. And so in determining to leave God out of the picture, speaking this one language and this unity that is saying no to God and leaving God out of the plans, humanity would form an evil so great that it would turn in on itself and it would destroy itself. And so God mixes up the language and this becomes a place of confusion. Did you ever stop to think that what God did at the Tower of Babel was a form of grace in and of itself? That in confusing the language, God was saving humanity from itself. And so, friends, the clear warning of the text is the danger of constructing an existence around a center 
that doesn't have God, around a life that doesn't have God at the center, uh, and is comprised of only human ambition and what we want to achieve. And that's everything I think our culture is telling us, that it's about us, it's about me, it's about, it's about my shtick, and it's about my image, and it's about my Facebook page, and how much fun I'm having, and it's what I'm accomplishing, and what I'm purchasing, and what I'm giving, and how important I am. Way back, centuries ago, when I was in college, there wasn't another century, come to think of it. Uh, um, 1979, I had a class in college called Ministry and Media. Now, can you imagine a class in 1979 called Ministry and Media? That, that, I mean, that's kind of visionary, if nothing else, okay, for us to have a class like that. But one of the things we did was our, our professor had a connection with somebody who was, con who was in the production at what was called the Rex Humbard television uh, thing ministry in Akron, Ohio. And Rex Humbard was one, of, he's actually one of the good guys, one of the televangelists that was one of the really good guys. And um, he was one of the first, uh, and his, his, his ministry was on, I think it was on 600 different TV stations in the United States at one point. And uh, many different countries around the world uh, saw, his, saw his program, and it w we went down there, and we got to see behind the scenes and all that stuff with what's going on with the media. One of the things I remember that they did is they, you know, they had like several different cameras going at one time, and they'd keep video clips of people doing strange things in church, and people do strange things in church. It was kind of funny to, to watch that. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Um, so he has this 5,000-member church. It's huge, and a lot of good stuff going on. So one of the things he wanted to do, though, was he wanted to build this prayer tower in Akron. And he wanted to, it was like going to be 700 and some feet tall, and he wanted to have a restaurant at the top of it. It was actually going to be tall. It was designed to be taller than the Space Needle in Seattle. And so they started building this uh, prayer tower, and they were, it was going along at a clip of 20 feet a day. They, they were building it. And um, all of a sudden, uh, a court injunction came through, and it got stopped at 494 feet. And um, uh, there was a, it, it was stopped. And then the, the, the guy needs a muffler, man. Then, um, then, the, the ministry uh, ran into financial difficulty, and the tower was never completed. And if you go to Akron, Ohio, to this day, you'll see that 490-foot cement tower that's really ugly. Just, just this tower. And I really don't mean to criticize Rex Humbard because he really did have a, a very good ministry there. But I, I think it's a illustrative to us of are, are we building monuments to ourselves 
Or are we building lives that are centered around Jesus Christ? Um, are, are we building lives that we have something to hand down besides empty towers of cement? Right? You know, in Luke, um, I'm going to go back here just a couple of pages. Luke 12, 19. Then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be required of you. Then who will own what you have accumulated? And so the story of Babel is we can't do life without God. Our culture can't do life without God. Our society can't do life without God. God needs to be at the center. Then I want to now transition to the Pentecost story, and we see kind of a, a healing. And we see God beginning the process of putting himself at the center of life through the power of the Spirit given to the church. Acts 2, verses 1 through 8. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the rushing wind, a mighty rushing wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw tongues of flames like fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I have ADD, and... Um, Usually guys do that when I'm about to hit a putt on the golf course. Somebody drives by and peeps at me. Okay. Now they're uh, dwelling in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when the sound rang out, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Astounded and amazed, are not these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it then that each of us hears them in his native language? So as Luke writes his gospel and the book of Acts. Luke does so in such a way that he frequently draws connection between what God has done in the Old Testament and what he's doing in the life of Jesus and through the life of Jesus. And it's not a universal thought, but I think most scholars and many prominent figures throughout the history of the church including St. Augustine and John Calvin, believe that Luke constructed the story of Pentecost as God's alternative to the Tower of Babel. Kind of a reversal, so to speak. And we wonder, how could there possibly be a relationship? Let's look at some of the similarities or dissimilarities of the, that are going on here. First of all, Notice in sending the Spirit, empowering the apostles to speak in other tongues that they didn't know, Jesus is undoing the confusion of tongues in Genesis 11. Think about this now. In the Genesis story, there's rebellion against God, seeking to make, the people are seeking to make a great name for themselves, and everyone spoke the same language. In their unity of language, they attempted to build a tower to defy the will of God, and God confused them by giving them different languages. However, in Pentecost, the apostles are in a room 
They're praying to God and they're surrendering their hearts and they are begging God to empower them to be able to do God's will. So you have one group of people defying God while you have another group of people begging God to be able to do his will. And the Holy Spirit came in great power and instead of speaking in one language that everyone understood, the apostles were given supernatural ability to speak in several languages so that people who were in town from different countries could understand the gospel in their own language. Surely this is the beginning of a great healing that is multinational, multicultural, multilingual, and that no plan of mankind, no government, no human entity of any kind could force this to happen. But when it's God's will, the Holy Spirit moves in great power and brings unity to these people. Secondly, there's a focus on surrendering to God's will, something we must do every day of our lives. In the Babel story, the glory was on building a name for themselves. The people of the earth had chosen to go their own way and build their own worth. In the Acts story, there's no hint of arrogance. In fact, the apostles, as I've said, they were gathered together in prayer following the instructions of Jesus to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there are several places in the book of Acts where the people want to worship the apostles because of the miracles that were done, and the apostles have to restrain them and rebuke them to make sure that only God gets the glory. However, preeminently on this day, the apostles' primary concern is to do the will of God. They want to know the will of God. They, they know they can't do their primary ministry without the power of God. So they have gathered on Pentecost Sunday, and they have given themselves to prayer and surrendering to the Lord. They know that they are dependent on the Holy Spirit of God to move. They know this is only something that God can accomplish. So their primary concern is one of surrender. You know, in, I wonder, you know, in our side note, as sunlight prepares for their future, as Tom prepares for his future, do we understand and do we tell God how desperate we are to do his work? We've had disappointments and, and we've had hurts. All of us have. But can we still say on our knees, God, we are so desperate to do your work. Show us your will. And God, please send your Holy Spirit on us to do your will that we may understand and be empowered to carry out your work. And God, work mightily among us. And then lastly, there's the embrace of God's mission. Fundamentally, God is a missionary God. Three marks of the church are what? We say in the Belgic Confession, if you're not familiar with that, that's a, that is a, a statement of faith in the Reformed tradition. The three marks of the church are the preaching of the word, the celebration of the sacraments, and the exercise of Christian discipline. I think if we could talk with the Reformers today, we would encourage them to say one of the marks of the church probably should be with those three mission 
The church is not the church if it's not engaging in God's mission in the world because God is a missionary God. So Jesus had told them that Jerusalem, the place where they were waiting, would be only the beginning of a much larger journey to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so they waited for power to become witnesses, for the power to be scattered. One group wanted to not be scattered. They wanted to hide. The other group is praying for power to be scattered. Uh, and so in Acts, they're waiting and they're knowing that they will go. They heard the last words of Jesus. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And so it's clear in Acts 2 that in the coming of the Holy Spirit, the apostles were empowered to speak uh, to people from different countries who spoke different languages, who lived in different cultures, and could, so they could understand the message of Jesus. In Genesis, diversity, diversity without God brought confusion. In the book of Acts, diversity with the language and power of the Holy Spirit brought unity in the name of Jesus. In Genesis, diversity caused people to be confused and alienated from each other. In the book of Acts, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the diversity of language brought unity of love and understanding in the name of Jesus. Man, the church is about its mission as fire is, you know, as fire is about, about burning. So are we building monuments in this place or are we building missionaries? Are we building a fort to maintain or a base from which to commission and to send? Are we living lives aimed at fulfilling the pleasure of God? And God's mission to the world. I believe that God is calling Sunlight Church to live for God's mission. And we need to have that willingness to be scattered as a church to fulfill that mission. I want to just share one story with you in closing that, and it's just a anecdotal story that I think is a work of God, a work of the Spirit that uh, only God can do. We, I was a pastor of a church in Jenison, and uh, Jenison is a suburb of Grand Rapids, which is a large city. Uh, we had one African-American man in our congregation who had been married to a Dutch lady from Canada, and they had a beautiful, wonderful marriage. Uh, they were married I think for 55 years before um, he passed away. And uh, I remember just, I, I felt like we needed to build a friendship with an African-American congregation. So I called up the pastor at, in downtown Grand Rapids from Pilgrim Rest Missionary Baptist Church. And um, took their pastor out for lunch. And I said, I have a proposal for you. We need to make some friends that we don't have. 
And, and I said, how about this? I said, how about if you would come to our church for a worship service, your choir would sing, and you would preach. Then in six months, we would come and worship at your church, and our choir would sing, and I would get to preach. He said, that sounds fantastic. And so we did that. And um, I am here to tell you, those worship services were amazing experience. First of all, it blew our sockets living out in Genesee. Completely different culture, okay? Completely different culture. As in the book of Acts, a different language almost. But it brought about a love and a unity that only the Holy Spirit could bring. Right? Hello? You know, you can't force that. Right? You can't say this has to happen. That's a God thing. That's a Pentecost thing when that kind of thing happens. And uh, I'm telling you, when you preach at a black church, you can't preach bad. They won't let you. And um, I, I, that was, to, you know, that to me, that was one of the living realities of, of the Pentecost experience for me personally that I got to live out, and I'll never, I'll never forget it. And I, I think it was healing for their congregation as, as well. I, I'd love to tell you more about that story, but I need, we need to move on. So let's, let's close in prayer. Let's do that. God, we thank you today for Pentecost Sunday, the power of God's Spirit to miraculously call people to Jesus Christ. God, we know in heaven there will be people of every tribe and tongue and nation that worship you and call upon your name, and what a beautiful thing that will be. And so, God, we surrender to you today. Lord, we need a filling of your spirit in our midst and in our lives. We long to be a church that is eager to see what you have for us in the future. Help us to be filled with hope. Help us to be filled with the Spirit of God and embrace your call. In Jesus' name, amen.